0: UTC right after the international news. Stand up! Uh, Stand
1: up! uh, Stand up! uh, Stand up! uh, Stand up! Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports.
2: Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America.
1: Forty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the May 11th edition of The Sunny Side of Sports. The Men's Basketball Africa League will resume its season on May 21st when the BAL playoffs tip off at the Kigali Arena in Rwanda. I'm looking forward to being in Kigali with my VOA colleague Eddie Rima for special coverage of Africa's premier men's basketball league. Eight teams, including defending champion Zamalek of Egypt, will compete for continental supremacy in Kigali, In an interview with Iron Mike Bunye, Zamalek's Nigerian big man, Ike Diagu, commented on the BAL's Nile Conference games last month in Cairo, Egypt.
3: The games have been good. They've been uh, very uh, competitive. Um, We had a very uh, tough matchup with the team from Angola. Uh, So, yeah, all the games are competitive. Everybody in the Nile Conference was uh, capable of beating anybody, and I'm just glad that we finished uh, undefeated.
0: Your team, Zamalek, is the defending champion of the Basketball Africa League, and uh, you've qualified for the playoffs scheduled for uh, Kigali Rwanda sometimes in this May. What are your expectations of the playoffs in Kigali?
3: My uh, expectations... uh Uh, The games are going to be tough. Uh, They're going to be very uh, competitive. You know, we just have to take it one game at a time because it's single elimination. So we want to continue as champions. And uh, it's going to be tough, but I think we can get it done.
0: Are there any teams you have in mind as you go to Kigali for the playoffs? As in going to be... Uh, what I mean is teams that will give you real tough games
3: I mean I think all of them It's the playoffs So these are all the best teams of both conferences So we have to take it one game at a time I don't look forward I don't look past anybody Because that's how you uh, lose a game So we want to win. And every game is going to be hard. There's not going to be any easy games So we want to take it one one game at a time
0: This is your first time of playing In the Basketball Africa League What has the experience been like?
3: Uh, The experience has been good, you know, sir. It's almost like playing an Afro basket. Um, You know, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of uh, good young talent. Um, I've been impressed with a lot of the NBA Academy guys. So uh, it's been very nice.
0: Talking about the NBA Academy guys, I understand some young Nigerian players from the NBA Academy played for some of the African teams. Uh, Did you get to watch them and how did you see their games?
3: Yeah, uh, we got to watch them, we got to play against them, and uh, they're all doing very well. Very well, I'm, uh, I'm very excited uh, to see the development of these guys. Um, so, uh, yeah, very proud, and the future is very bright.
0: Okay, talking about the Basketball African League itself, how, how, how do you see the introduction of the league uh, for African teams?
3: Uh, the league is good. The league is competitive. The league is tough. Um, The organization is top-notch, obviously, because you have the M. So I expect it to continue to get bigger and better. And, um, you know, the goal is for it to compete with some of the top leagues in the world.
1: That's Nigerian player Ike Diagu of Zamalek, the defending Basketball Africa League champion. And Ike was speaking with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Cairo,
0: Egypt. The Basketball Africa League is back. Voice of America joins forces with Africa's Premier Men's Basketball League to bring you the second season of the BAL. 38 games. 12 teams leaving it all on the court in Senegal, Egypt and Rwanda to determine the 2022 season champion. Tune in to VOA 24-7, FM's and to radio and TV affiliates for some action. Pre-game. Play-by-play, post-game, daily highlights, delivered by our finest commentators. Basketball Africa League 2022, on Voice of America. May the best team win.
1: The Basketball Africa League is a partnership between the International Basketball Federation, FIBA, and the National Basketball Association, the NBA. In NBA playoff action Tuesday night, the Miami Heat and the Phoenix Suns both scored lopsided victories at home to take three games to two leads in their series. Miami routed the Philadelphia 76ers by 35 points, while Phoenix trounced the Dallas Mavericks by 30 points. We'll have reports on the victories by Miami and Phoenix. First up, the AP's George Tanner in Phoenix on the big win by the
3: Suns. Devin Booker, 28.7 rebounds. The Suns defeated the Mavericks 110-80 to take a three-game-to-two lead in the Western Conference semifinals. DeAndre Ayton, 20 points, nine boards. The Suns went on a 17 nothing run early in the third quarter thanks to a dozen Dallas turnovers. Chris Paul had just seven points, but he was effective in shutting down Luka Doncic and the defense was dominant. I've always had a lot of respect for guys who play both ends, the guys who defend and do things that don't show up on the stat sheet. So um, it's always fun to try to compete. Doncic again led Dallas with 28 points. I think we started good. I think the first quarter was great. Uh, we came up physical, we play, were playing defense, but then I think we relaxed. Uh, that wasn't us, that wasn't ourselves. You know, we got to be way better than that. George Tanner,
1: Phoenix. Thanks, George. Now let's go to Miami, Florida, where the Heat easily beat the Philadelphia 76ers. The AP's Wayne Roosten reports from Miami. The Heat rolled over the 76ers 120-85 to 85 to take game five and a 3-2 series lead. Seven players scored in double digits for Miami, including Jimmy Butler, who led all shooters with 23 points. We just did what we were supposed to do. I don't think winning at home was a surprise to anybody. Joel Embiid led Philly with 17, but was roughed up, diving into the crowd after a loose ball, then getting hit in his mask-covered face during a rebound battle that resulted in a doctor visit.
3: You know, this is a lose-lose situation for me. Uh, You know, if I don't play, you know, uh, probably get called soft. And, you know, if I play and I play bad, um, you know, probably say, you know, probably come up with a bunch of stuff that I guess is just not good enough.
1: The 76ers were down by 15 going into the fourth, then gave up 12 straight points to start the final quarter. Miami improved to an NBA best 6-0 and record at home in the playoffs. I'm Wayne Rustin. This evening, we bring you part two of an interview by the energetic Andy Edwards with Uganda born athlete Deo Kato, whose award winning Running for Justice campaign combines athletic competition with social activism. Andy asked Deo when he first considered running as his top sport.
4: Running started to become my sport um, not too long ago. Um, although that may sound a bit more of a surprise, um, I truly actually felt that running was my sport when just a couple of years ago. To be honest, uh, when I started taking on this running for justice movement, before then I was more of just kind of like just running an ultra just without a full belief of myself being as an, a true runner. Um, I thought more I was kind of like just chasing another goal another marathon another but I started running when I was um, a few years before I started travelling um, to Australia like so basically like 2012
5: 2011 oh I see so you'd been if you you came to, from Uganda to, to Britain when you were 10 yeah. I mean you're probably running around as we all do at the age of 10 but yeah. it, it's not 2011 you're 34 now so in your early 20s you decided to travel to other places Australia or New Zealand and that coincided with doing more serious running
4: yes um, it's, it's, uh, it's it came off the back because my body was quite I had a condition with my body and I discovered that running was the only way to be able to like um, heal the body a lot better
5: what, what's the condition or what was it
4: uh, the condition is still undiagnosed, undi- and um, it took many, many years to be able to like come up to a solution, which is a solution that I discovered myself, and running aided um, the condition to be able to be to be able not to affect me.
5: So, so how have you, in in that sense, treated yourself? Is it is it a viral thing? But how did you find a way which seemed to deal with it?
4: I found a way um, which is quite tricky to be able to explain properly um, I had a hunch in my ba- in the back of my mind that if I do exercise I'll be able to like release the stress from my body and my body be able to breathe um, before that my body wasn't able to breathe so a lot of heat was trapped inside my body so I found it very difficult to be able to uh, straight, like you know, like naturally we would be able to do. So my body doesn't sweat naturally. I have to do some form of activity to really sweat, it, uh, let it out. Um, because I wanted to be able to travel and I'm very adventurous, I needed to find ways to be able to do that. And I wouldn't be able to be in a hot climate if my body really hot and so on. And um, so I started to do running to force my body to sweat. And I started by just running up and down a little bit inside the house, and then eventually I go outside the house, run around the block, and then going a little bit further on the street and into the parks. Um, and then my body became a lot better, and I was able to be able to freely stretch and be able to like heal the condition in some form of way. Some form of way, because now even now, if I stop running or do any stop any form of activity, my body will go back to the point where it was at the. At that stage. Um.
5: Well, that's fascinating. And and, uh, looking at your your website and your exploits on the internet, I see that you spent some time in Northern Ireland and you you joined a local club, uh, the East Down Athletics Club, and um, they report on you doing a, 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 I think it was a 50k trail race, 50 kilometers. So that's, well, just just about uh, eight kilometers longer. Than the classic marathon distance um, and so it's come going beyond the marathon is, is become a kind of form of healing for you
4: going beyond the marathon is definitely a form of healing um, it's a form of finding yourself um, along nature or a, it's kind of like a self-discovery the longer you could stay out and stay out r- running um, something like a 50k or 100k or even going a bit more farther than that is um, going through that kind of pain um, and discover, you know, and coming at the end um, out out of that challenge, you discover yourself as a person. Uh, what kind of challenges you can be able to overcome over time, um, which can which can be quite difficult, but once you come over that you realize how much power you have over yourself
5: yeah. do you have goals and obviously you're very much involved and in leading the way in this running for justice campaign but in terms of your running and ultra running are there races because i'm well aware around the world there are mountain races there are trail races um races spread over quite a few days races in the desert um, do you have goals to say well I've done something in Northern Ireland, 50K and other things, but I'd like to do some of what you might call higher-profile races.
4: Yeah, um, I do have goals. Actually, recently we just I just finished running with uh, a group of six people, um, part of the Black Trail Runners, and uh, we ran across um, across America. Well, basically we ran from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, and that was running through the desert, and that was quite a high-profile in terms of like uh, ultra marathon events and um, which I'm going to go to do next is a 100k race which I'm going to do in June right at the beginning of June and that's uh, not too high profile but it's uh, it's getting back into those 100k races again and then uh, I'll take it from there
5: Odeo, you, you, you've mentioned the Black Trail Runners and you're a member of them and I can see from the tracksuit that you're wearing it says Black Trail Runners. I have to say I'm completely ignorant about that. Um, tell us more.
4: Yeah, so I'm a, a community member of Black Trail Runners. Um, we are a, a group that campaigns to um, increase participation and inclusion of black people in the trails and um, basically we are online um, so we have a, a Facebook group and uh, we are on our website as well and Instagram page and we involve as many people that want to be able to include to have more black people and brown people on the trails Um, but obviously everyone else is also involved, you know, can be able to get involved it's not just a group of, you know, black black people
5: Uh, Just to explain, I mean the term trail runners because some The the, the terms like trail, mountain running, cross-country and ultra, um, in different parts of the world, um, something is called by different names. Um, So if we're talking about Britain, trails... I mean, I'm familiar as a runner with doing cross-country races... Which are usually in parks, um, but when you mean trail running, here, where where do you go to do trail running in Britain, for example? And what what for you and your your fellow runners constitutes a trail? Uh, so
4: trail running, um, especially when you live in London, it can be a bit more difficult to come across. Um, but we have quite a few pockets in London where you can go and find you know some trails. Um, so basically. When you're running off-road and you're, more, you know, you're more into the woods, and you're running completely on like natural land. Um, and there's a few pockets in London, um, but you can find it on countrysides um, or when you go outside a little, If you explore a lot more. Or in spaces where you don't get to see many roads, you can be right in the mountains, um, especially in some places like that. Sometimes,
5: would, w- would that include, say, I mean, I'm aware fell running in the Lake District in Cumbria, and of course, well, in the North of England in general, and then Scotland, and then in the southwest, in Cornwall and Devon. Um, do you also uh, go to those places?
4: Yes, we definitely go to those places, and uh, we did go to to um to the Romsey oh, sorry. I say I'll say this again we, we went to um, to Scotland um, to run the uh, the Romsey round which is the uh, the 20 23 uh, peaks of the Scotland of Scotland mountains and we went there as a group again as black trail runners to actually explore those spaces. And that was the first time, actually, black, as black people, or group of black people actually went there and explored that space and ran on the Ramsey Round, which is the Ramsey Round was discovered by uh, a black person who was called Charlie Ramsey. And um, that's part of what we want to be able to um, represent a lot more. Uh, sure.
5: Do you, do you have contact with, uh, for example, there's the Fell Running Association, the FRA, and other long-established groups, um, Uh, in what you could call mountain running, trail running Um, have you tried to have contacts with them?
4: Well, Our aim is basically to be able to connect a lot more with uh, these groups Um, as uh, part of the Black Trail and as I know the founders have been in touch with a lot of race directors and a lot of races um, across the country and want to be a lot more included in those spaces so there's a few risk directors that have come back and we get more involved, but as we grow a lot more and a lot bigger, it's the more we can be able to contact a lot more people and be able to engage with a lot more, like you know, the fur-running communities and everywhere else.
5: Well, that's a really fascinating tale for all sorts of reasons, whether it's Running for Justice, your own exploits at Ultra Runner, and now the Black Trail Runner as well, Adeo Kato. Thanks very much for talking to us.
4: Thank you so much, Andy, and it's great to be talking to you.
5: That's Uganda-born athlete
1: Deo Kato. And Deo was talking with the energetic Andy Edwards in London. This is Larry London, the host of VOA's Border Crossings, where we feature music and interviews along with your favorite artists from around the world. Tune in and interact live with us here in Washington, D.C. Hello, Shirin.
6: Hello, Larry. How are you?
1: Good. How are you tonight? Border Crossings comes to you Monday through Friday at 1500 UTC GMT. Thanks, Larry. That's Larry London, a man who's always ready to cross musical borders. I encourage our sunny side of sports listeners to follow me on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA sunny. Once again, that address facebook.com forward slash VOA sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. Once again, my Twitter handle at VOA Sunny Sports.
0: Hello, this is Magnus from Nigeria. I love listening to the Sunny Side of Sports. It's always a daily delight of listening to the Sunny Side of Sports. Once again, Madness Tuchel in Nigeria. i wishing all the Sunnyside of Sports listeners all the best. Bye. Voice of America.
1: In English Premier League football news, Chelsea has confirmed an agreement to a club takeover that more than doubles the record as the most expensive sale in sporting history. And ahead of Wednesday evening's match against Leeds United, Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel said acquisition talks have been a major distraction for his players and for the club. VOA's Gwen Uten joins us now with details. Sporty greetings, Gwen.
6: Sporty greetings, Sunny. Last week, a consortium led by American businessman and Los Angeles Dodgers co-owner Todd Bowley signed an agreement to take over London football club Chelsea for over five billion U.S. dollars. This is the second time Bowley has attempted to buy the club. His first bid was rejected in. 2019. But this time, the purchase was a success. And with the backing of Clear Lake Capital, Bowley is already working on plans to redevelop Stamford Bridge. And as the acquisition nears completion, Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel told reporters the future of the club remains uncertain.
2: We're the only club in the moment who suffers like this, and maybe the first club who ever did this, so it is uh, a situation that is unique and it's a situation that is um, quite challenging and of course everybody hopes uh, for the situation to be clarified and to be of course these these are steps in the right direction and and uh, we are waiting for it since since a uh, long time because we need we need the positive um, the positive uh, energy and we need uh, the the competitive atmosphere also as a club and uh, so, yeah that's why it's very, very important and things uh, progress. Early-
6: Earlier this year, the U.K. government imposed sanctions against then-Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich because of his ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin. As a result, Abramovich's assets were frozen, and he was forced to relinquish control of the club. Chelsea were in top form at the start of this season, but since the international break, Thomas Tuchel has repeatedly said sanctions against Abramovich and talks of a club takeover have been major distractions and the upcoming departure of defender Antonio Rodiger has also contributed to the team's difficult season. Last month, Chelsea were eliminated in their Champions League title defense and they are currently in a tough battle to stay in the top four of the Premier League. But Tuchel is reluctant to cast direct blame for his side's drop in form.
2: I don't think we never we, I think there's no 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 sense in hiding from the fact that it is a distraction and it's a matter of like how to which level can we still live up even if we are distracted distracted or like worried or like disadvantaged by it and we did uh, excellent until the national break it was like it had no no effect in in terms of of results it it had like almost the opposite effect that we felt very strong like during during the difficulties and during the um, the announcement and and the sanctions in in place, um, and then maybe something also very human and, and normal uh, took place, like in the moment of two weeks uh, off, like or like one week off, but the players were were not here. They were like also different influences to them, and uh, maybe more thoughts about the the situation in general. And the situation is now very very long and. And uh, the players also want to feel competitive. They want to know what's going on next season. The guys who, yeah, you know, some, some player like Tony decided then to, to change the club. So there's, yeah, with every day it gets a bit more difficult. It's not impossible, but it gets more difficult. And it has an influence. And, and still we are looking for reaching the level that we are still competitive and, and can win games. So it's still no excuse, but it is for sure a reason.
6: And Tuchel says he- he hopes things will begin to turn around for Chelsea as the takeover moves to the next phase.
2: So nothing has changed for us here at, at Cobham. Um, we're still waiting for the confirmation, waiting for things to progress, to hopefully have, have, uh, have news for you and have, of course, news for us and for the team to inject some positive, uh, some positive energy.
6: In a written statement, Chelsea said over two and a half billion US dollars of the total investment will be applied to purchase shares in the club with 100% of the proceeds donated to charitable causes as confirmed by former Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich. In addition, the proposed new owners will commit over 1.8 billion US dollars in investments that include Stanford Bridge, the Academy, the women's team, and continued funding for the Chelsea Foundation all for the benefit of the club. In order for Chelsea to be featured in the next campaign, the club's takeover must be wrapped up by June 8th, when Premier League representatives convene to constitute the new league for the 2022-23 season. Chelsea expects the deal to be completed by the end of this month. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you.
1: Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. scored a come from behind 2-1 win at Aston Villa on Tuesday, ensuring the English Premier League's thrilling title race will go into the final week of the season. Senegalese star Sadio Mane sealed the victory for Liverpool with a superb header in the 65th minute. It was Mane's 15th EPL goal of the season. Now, Sadio Mane's teammate, Egyptian star Mo Salah, leads the EPL with 22 goals. The victory put Liverpool even on points with 86 with Manchester City. Man City still leads thanks to a superior goal difference of plus three to Liverpool. Man City will play their game in hand against Wolverhampton Wednesday evening. After that match, Man City and Liverpool will have only two more league games to play. The earliest Man City could clinch the Premier League is Tuesday when Liverpool plays its next league game at Southampton. Before that, Man City plays twice against the Wolves, And then West Ham on Sunday. The English Premier League. It's going down to the wire between Man City and Liverpool. Both teams hoping to lift the trophy. wraps up the May 11th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. I get it. The sunny side of sports.